You're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast. It's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff, and it is the Labor Day weekend, uh, if you are listening to this uh, as it premieres. And we're actually giving you an encore episode for the first time ever in our run. But this is, it's an older episode. It's actually, uh, what we're going to listen to is actually only our second episode ever. And I think we're far past 150 by now. So this is, this episode was recorded, I think more than two years ago, we were talking to Kevin Deegan Krauss, who is associate professor of political science at Wayne State University, but has, uh, I'd say, uh, an intimate history with this uh, library and a very, a very endearing history with this library. Kevin was president of the Board of Trustees, president of the Friends of the Ferndale Library, and was integral in drumming up support to get this library renovated. Efforts for that renovation started way back in 2007. In fact, even a little bit earlier than that, but but really ramped up in 2007, leading into 2010 when, when we began to expand. We doubled this library in size. We added to the computer lab. We improved the kids' corner. We set up a green roof. We set up uh, green technology for the heating and cooling and water system and everything. Uh, we have a courtyard. It's just an amazing, wonderful library. And Kevin is one of the people that we, without hyperbole, have have uh, have most to thank for for his efforts, as you'll hear in this chat. We had Kevin on also because he was such a dynamic member of the Friends of the Library group, our friends, the Friends of the Ferndale Library, uh, which is a name you hear at the beginning and end of each episode, because they made this podcast possible. And you know, coming up in October is there's a, a week observance to celebrate all friends of libraries groups. These are volunteers uh, for any public library in any city of any state who are separate from the library, but are always uh, working to fundraise for the library or just assure that a library has the just top-notch resources, top-notch programming. Sometimes friends of library groups throw programming of their own. They have little side events. They are just here to if nothing else, always support a library. So we're coming on to September, we're coming on to autumn, and we're looking forward already to uh, the middle of October when Friends of Libraries Weeks, the National Friends of Library Week, will be happening. So we thought we'd look back on this episode with Kevin Deacon Krause. It's a fun chat. It really is. We, we You'll get some history of our library, as well as uh, something that Kevin also founded, which is our science fiction book club. So sci-fi fans, stick around for the second half of this episode where we'll get into that genre as well. And then we'll be back with more new content in uh, in a week or so, per usual. So here's our chat with Kevin Deegan Krauss. Yes, I think that's, that's exactly cool. the kind of thing that uh, that that we were looking for. I don't think we envisioned the uh, the library podcast at the time, but uh, and and the previous board had done a bunch of surveys about what people were looking for, and at the time we'd been subject to a series of budget cuts as part of the city's budget, and uh, so hours had been cut radically short. The space was getting old and tired. Uh, there wasn't the the money at the time for the computers that people were wanting at the time. And the space itself was really, it was small. It was kind of cramped. 
the children's room was right next to the front door, which led to kids wandering out into traffic oh, and uh, stuff like that. So, and uh, those renovations from the 80s had taken a really beautiful building architecturally and uh, and turned it into a very uh, cramped and claustrophobic space. So they dropped the ceilings down from, you know, 12, 15 feet to eight feet um, without actually improving the energy efficiency of the building. And it was just, you can see some of the pictures online. There's a, there's a history of the library uh, that the friends have put up online. And uh, it, was an, it was a tired space. Uh, and it wasn't a space that was in character with the Ferndale that we were becoming at the time. It really just didn't, it didn't fit. Right. Right. Drab was the word that came to mind. Drab, drab was the um, word. There was, a, there was a joke at the time that we could either renovate or we could turn it into a, a theme library of the library of the 1950s. <laughs> uh, and uh, with a lot of people telling other people to be quiet and hitting rulers with uh, hitting knuckles with rulers and things <laughs> like that. But we, we, we opted for the other way. And I think ever since really kind of that sort of period, 2007 forward, not just our library, all libraries everywhere, you'll see articles every once in a while that say that Libraries have evolved. Libraries right. are evolving. Right. But not without the help of their communities. We have to give that shout out because there was a group, the Ferndale Citizens for a Better Library. That's right. That uh, got that started. And they proclaimed that this expansion was vital, that it would add to the quality of life. So I think if any library out there that isn't us is is excelling, it's not without the support of their community. Absolutely. And I think part of it too, and I have to give give a lot of credit to the, the librarian community, the, the library and information systems field really changed uh, and had been changing for about a decade or two before we made our change. You can really see when you look back, this kind of fundamental shift from libraries as places to protect information from people, to keep it as basically an archive, um, where librarians' jobs were really to, um, to tell people to be quiet, to tell people not to get things dirty or messy. And it makes sense because it, it was an era when uh, the physical uh, instantiations of the information were the most important thing. There was a limit on information because it had to be on paper in books. Uh, and so when that lifted, when the, when the web started to emerge, you can see suddenly there was this group of young sort of rebel librarians saying, Libraries are fun. Uh, libraries are uh, loud. loud. Libraries are places where people uh, get together. Um, you see people starting to talk about libraries as a third space. So in addition to home and work, um, we used to have third spaces. They were limited, places like the Elks and the Lions and other, you know, pubs and places like that. Um, and uh, as, as things opened up, people needed uh, a, non, uh, a non-restricted third space uh, and libraries became that space. And we really, so as we were doing this in 2007, 2006, we were able to draw on all the best work um, by the Wayne State School of Library and Information Science, where a whole bunch of librarians here have, have, have graduated, which has really been cutting edge in a lot of that. So they were able to consult with us, and we found just an incredible number of librarians across the country who are willing to say, here's what you need to do, here's how, here's how you, you talk to people about libraries, here's what a new library could look like. There's a new generation of library architects who were thinking of libraries as spaces where you would have uh, fireplaces and comfy reading nooks and... Uh, um, so it really, it, it, the, everything kind of came together just as the city was ready to let the library board make these, these changes. Uh, and then we were able to take those to the voters. Uh, I think 69% of the voters approved um, the additional mill that we went for in, in 2007. Uh, and that gave us the, the seed money 
uh, to uh, contemplate the, the the expansion. Yeah. Um, and you know, and that meant not only um, sort of improved, uh, you know, expanded space, but it meant a new and more versatile kind of space. So we were able to put. Uh, a front space that could be used as public meeting rooms. We made sure the windows were big so people could see there was stuff going on. Um, those could be used after hours, before hours for elections and for book clubs like the one that, that we've got and, and a whole bunch of others. We were able to expand the kids section off to the back so kids had their own space that was far from the door, quiet, uh, peaceful. Um, kids didn't have to worry about interrupting adults. Adults didn't have to worry about interrupting kids. Um, and then we were actually able at the same time to make sure that when we did it, we did it in a in an environmentally sound way. And I'm really proud of the fact that we were one of the, we were the first city building uh, to be LEED certified, which is um, uh, I think it's it's leadership in energy and environmental design. Mm-hmm. So we have a LEED silver certification. We have a green roof. We uh, heat the building with uh, geothermal. Uh, pipes that go 400 feet into the earth. That's but it right. is a third place also at the same time. It's retained the best parts of its old perception. Right, uh, right. Um, author Josh Mallon was just on this podcast, and he credited the library for being a place where he loved to work. Oh, that's awesome. Because it was this, of course, serene environment right. where others were working. Right. And there was a reciprocal motivation there. Oh, that's music to, to my work. ears. There was one local business owner when we were thinking of expanding this uh, expanding the library, and I said, you know, what could we do to make the library better? Um, and the, the business owner said, frankly, in its current state, um, you could just raise it and give me more parking, uh, which was a pretty sharp. Like that really told us what we were what we were up against. Uh, and that same business owner uh, a couple of years ago um, said, it really, it's it's really important to have the library here. So wow. to see that kind of transformation, and the, the person in question wasn't saying that we should raise it, mm-hmm. but was saying that given. The, the inability of the library to fund the services that would bring people in and make it active, that it, it didn't seem like it was communicating, com- contributing that much to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not somebody who was opposed to libraries, but it was uh, somebody who was really pointing out the fact that um, the library wasn't able to have the impact that it should. And with the expansion and with, and I have to say, I mean, a major shout out to the staff. This is just an incredible staff of enthusiastic people who love this place and who love the community and things like the first stop Fridays, uh, and our concert series, your concert series mm-hmm. on Friday nights, um, really turn this into a different kind of place. Uh, and it's a place where people go to hang out and people go, um, not just to find books, uh, which is all they would really do back in the eighties and nineties, but that they go there, uh, to talk to others, to work in the small meeting rooms and to have meetings in the big meeting rooms and to, uh, to be entertained and to be informed and, you know, all the stuff that we really wanted, it seems to be happening. I'm gathering that you appreciate libraries. Yeah. Am I picking up? I kind of, yeah. Um, and you know, I just wanted to ask personally, cause you've talked about communities and how they impact communities, but how about your own trajectory? No one gets to be an associate professor without libraries being important in their, in their life. Can you quantify? Yeah, I, uh, quanti- you? Oh, quantification. That's my business in other realms. Um, I can give you some numbers. So, um, uh, my first uh, kind of formal responsibility at anything in the world was when I was 11, I, I uh, volunteered to um, the, the library in my hometown had a adopt a shelf program. Uh, and so I got the oversized books because it meant I didn't have to reach all the way up to the top. Uh, and so my job was to go through every month or so and kind of reorganize the oversized books. That's and I literally a big responsibility. Literally a big, an oversized, you might say, mm-hmm. responsibility. Um, and so, you know, I was, it, it was back in an era when being um, uh, a nerd was even less cool than it is now. I actually think, you know, a lot of those things have sort of acquired a certain 
um, at least social acceptability. Back at the time, back in the back in the seventies and eighties, that wasn't really uh, as easily done. But um, libraries were were my place. Libraries were my thing, and books really were the thing that I um, spent a lot of time reading. Um, and so, you know, from there, um, uh, uh, in my own local library, and then uh, in in college, I spent you know, a lot of time in, in libraries doing work. Uh, I met my wife in a library in graduate school. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. So, uh, um, and I had the delight of going, going back to that library uh, 10, 15 years later, uh, you know, taking my kids to show them where I met my, show them where I met my wife. And purely by chance, within a few feet of where we met, uh, my doctoral dissertation is shelved actually on the, in one of the shelves. <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, it's been a kind of a cool, a cool thing. And then, you know, from, from there, we, we spent a, a good amount of time in uh, Indiana, Indianapolis, and uh, in Columbus, Ohio. And Ohio at the time had really high per capita spending for libraries. Uh, and so one of the real, uh, I think the thing that made it uh, incumbent on us when we got here to really work with the library uh, was the Grandview Heights Public Library in uh, in uh, Columbus near Ohio State um, that was open until ten o'clock on Fridays and Saturdays, and so um, and so we saw what what a library could do, oh, that's um, great. and the role that a library could play not just in providing information but in providing community. That's great. So that's been the you know that's been the case. Uh, my office uh, at Wayne is in a library right now, uh, and uh, you know once we got to Ferndale, I think we were a little dismayed that the library didn't live up to the standards of the community, and so. You know, kind of quickly became involved. Shortly after we got here, the uh, the Friends of the Library got restarted. Mm-hmm. Um, what we hear that we can't find any documentation is that the Friends of the Library, uh, Friend of Friends of the Library, is the oldest Friends of the Library organization in Michigan. Um, we've heard that a lot. We don't know where that's from. But I've heard that a lot too. Yeah. Either I heard that from you, or I feel like I may have read it inside the Ferndale Historical Society Museum. I, we I should follow up. On I this. have a. There, the people who've told me, uh, Gene Spang, actually, uh, who was uh, on the library board and is on the Historical Society board, um, uh, she was pretty sure that that was true. And given the way the, the city evolved and the um, the place evolved, it, it, it makes total sense. Mm-hmm. This was the kind of place that would have uh, an early, if not the earliest, Friends of the Library. So the Friends of the Library were starting, I think, in uh, around 2001, 2002. Um, and that led to my interest in the in the kind of library management and a, a position on the, the library board when it was advisory, and then from there, um, part of the board when it was appointed, and then when it was elected. Um, so you know, one things led to another, and uh, this became something that I was really kind of deeply passionate about and spent a lot of time. It was nice because it actually became a um, a learning experience for me, and uh, I really felt like in in those four or five years, I was able to get a good handle on the nature of libraries as a modern institution and the way that libraries were changing and dealing with um, dealing with information, but dealing with people. And that was the big turn for me with, you know, libraries change from being places where books are stored to places where people learn. Yeah. And this is a podcast where I'm going to be mentioning the friends of the Ferndale library a lot, right? They support us. They gave us this podcast. Can you, cause every, uh, lots of libraries have, friends groups right there's friends of the library week it's a national holiday right can you tell folks who are listening i guess what a friends group is or does 
They do different things in different places. Um, An organization that's set up to allow volunteers to help the library do what it's supposed to do and to do things that the library can't do. Um, And so, you know, you all are busy with um, all of your various responsibilities. So when it comes to things like planning parties or managing all the used books that come in that we can sell back um, or, you know, getting people into the library or hosting uh, lecture series and so on. That's really what the Friends of the Library have been have been doing uh, since their their reboot in, in 2002. So I think we're almost on 20 years now from that um, from that reboot. And I mean, it's it's become really an, an active organization and they've they've organized things all the way from um, you know the, the, the prom, the 80s themed prom that we had a long, we had an 80s themed prom a while ago. We but have cake offs. Cake offs which are which were lovely. Um, uh, we've done some uh, Day of St. George events uh, back uh, about four or five years ago, mm-hmm. um, celebrating the the Catalonian Day of Day of Books and Roses. We had mini uh, golf in the library. Mini golf in the library. I think the friends uh, help out with the Halloween events that you mm-hmm. all do, um, and I know they they help out in other places. Actually, you can probably talk from your end about what you know what the friends do to support the library. But really, it's a place where people who are who are who, are, who love libraries give a little bit of time and energy to uh, to make sure that uh, the library has the resources. Resources and some of that kind of enthusiasm, some of that kind of energy, and then when it, frankly, when it comes time to, to talk to voters about why this is a worthwhile service, um, the Friends of the Library itself can't be involved as a as a nonprofit, but certainly the people who are engaged in the Friends become the people who are the biggest cheerleaders um, for the library when it uh, when it turns to the voters and says. You know, if you like what you're doing, please support us again. Yeah, and that's clearly an endorsement for anyone out there Absolutely. interested to join the. That's right. Oh, I would I would strongly encourage it. It's um, a great group. To go back and then maybe to for you to give folks a, a motivational pitch. If anyone out there is hearing this and they do like their library, but their community isn't supporting their library enough, can you talk about what kept you motivated? Because it was sort of a years-long period right. to get to the point in 2007 where renovations could happen three years, four years. A lot of time with lawyers. A lot, of time, a lot of time with architects. Actually, I have to say, with a few exceptions, it was fun. Okay. And so, you know, I, for you know, for, for people who don't find those kinds of things fun, I mean, the, the idea of being able to build something um, to being to be able to create something, I think was something that motivated all of us on the board. Like we saw the opportunity to, to take an institution that was that was coasting, mm-hmm. um, and to really make it into an organization that could be um, a draw, a centerpiece for the community. I mean, we have this amazing location right in the middle of downtown, um, and uh, the idea that that this should be the kind of institution, the idea that public space as opposed to private space. We had a lot of people say to us back in 2007, 2006, um, well, why do you need this? There's a, there's a Barnes & Noble in Royal Oak, uh, which is now gone, right? because Companies come and go, but libraries libraries remain. You know they've got coffee up there, they've got books up there. Why do you need uh, Why do you need a library? Or as Amazon emerged, like you can get your books anywhere. Why do you need a library? Um, and I think what we've seen across the board, not just in Ferndale, is that libraries have thrived even as people were predicting their demise. Like these, you know, if 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 they had been just about books. They would have gone away. Right. And interestingly, at Wayne, I mean, what, what one of the things we've seen is that we built a, a really big undergraduate library. I think that undergraduate library had, now has fewer books in it than this library. Wow. It has a small section. They've done a really good job of curating the things that undergraduates want and need. But the idea of libraries as warehouses for, for, for information, um, the emergence of the web has made that unnecessary. And by making it unnecessary, it's allowed us to actually turn our attention 
uh, to things that are more fulfilling for the community. So it was great that it was here. We preserved a lot of great books. We also preserved a lot of 70s cookbooks and other things that probably didn't need to be kept as long as we kept them. But we were able to turn this into really a, a kind of community center. And it's a community center with, with constant ongoing activity. Um, it complements the Kulik Center and other, uh, and other places around the city. But really, I mean, this is where people go when they want to be in a space that isn't owned by somebody uh, where they can express themselves and sort of get information out and get information in where they can learn and where they can teach and where they can enjoy one another's company. So it was the idea of building that that I think kept us moving forward. And it was great. I mean, anybody who's doing this in their own communities, the, the, having a goal, having something you can pin up on your wall and say, that's what we're shooting for. Destination. Destination. One of the things we did early on, even before, it was probably a little premature in some ways, but before we won the millage, before we did anything, we actually had uh, our architects do a, a 3D computer walkthrough model uh, of what the library could, could, could look like. And I think for us, I hope for the voters too, but for us as, um, as a board, that was the, the motivating factor. And actually, if you look at it, I don't know if it's still online anywhere, but it looks remarkably like what we ended up getting. Yeah. Like the, the computer model actually really fits closely to, to, to what's there. But that, the idea, first, you know, having a, having a kind of vague image in our head of the kind of institution we wanted to be, and then a specific image of the kind of space that we wanted to offer to people, that kept us going through the meetings with lawyers and through the meetings with the city to negotiate the lease and the meetings to negotiate the snow removal and the the you know the interminable meetings to to get this on the ballot and to and to meet with voters and to go to really every civic organization that would have us to knock on thousands of doors we were able to do it cuz we knew where we wanted to take this and we'd seen it work elsewhere one of the things we did as we were building it was to take tours of libraries that worked and so um, we went to places at the time that really seemed like dream libraries like Berkeley and others, places that, you know, where we're every bit, or I would say proudly more, uh, to our communities. Um, but having those those active models out there and keeping that that in our sights, I think, was what made all of this work possible. And it, it kept it allowed us to keep our enthusiasm uh, all the way through. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Civic refurbishment takes endurance. That's right. Um, That's right. No, these were long processes, but they are um, they're they're really worthwhile. And we had a lot of help. We had we had um um, volunteer consultants. We had a couple of paid consultants. We had people who would walk us through. And one of the things for me that's become incredibly important over time is realizing that you don't have to invent the wheel, that the, the, the wheels are out there. And a kind of surprising thing, but uh, something I now emphasize with my students, people who've done stuff are usually like I guess I'm doing now, um, more than excited to sort of tell you just how they did it. Like mm -hmm. all you got to do is find that person who made it work um, and you probably can't get them to shut up. Like, like, <laughs> Now listen. Yeah. We've talked a lot about libraries. We huh? haven't really talked about, we've talked about everything but books and reading. Okay. But we should talk about books and reading. We should. Because you run the science fiction book club here. Science running, fiction. It, running it is a strong term. Mm. So uh, run, launch, I, I would say pilot. Launch, pilot, launched. Um, you beam um, them up. Occasionally moderate. Mm -hmm. um, no, my, I mean, facilitate. Let's facilitate. say that. Facilitate. Facilitate. That's the. Let's talk about that. 
there is still a magic in recreational reading. Absolutely. Here for oh, that. God, yes. Um, and uh, and I've really, um, about five, no, it's 10 years. Almost We're almost on our 10th year. Yeah. Um, 10 years ago, I got, I got a chance at Wayne to teach a course on politics and science fiction. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun now that we have this new public space? It was just a couple months after we opened the new the new space. Um, uh wouldn't it be cool if we could do with the community? And I used it as a way of sort of forcing myself to read the books that I was going to assign. <laughs> like if I'm going to assign these particular books, you know, maybe I should have read them first. And if we have a group, um, I want to say in 2010, I think we, we, we started it up um, and we went for a couple of months and uh, the library actually had a, had a flood. Um, the, uh, mm-hmm. the gray water system, uh, that was up in the attic, um, leaked and really flooded a big chunk of the library. Um, unfortunately that was the month that we chose to read the book after the flood. Um, so I was blamed by the library for, um, for causing that, that problem. Um, we made sure that when we restarted, we read the book diamond age in the hope that we would have that same kind of, you know, what we're reading is what happens. I don't think anyone found any diamonds. But I think we've grown into a diamond. Grown into it. Oh, that's it. Yes. That's beautiful. But so you know, so we we started it, and at first, um, you know, I would show up, and maybe some other people would show up, and if they didn't, I would sit and read the book, and if they did, we would talk a little about it. Um, but what's been really kind of cool is that um, we have slowly developed uh, a readership uh, base so that now we've got 15 to 20 people um, and people take turns and people are busy and they've got but we've always got at least seven or eight people and uh, but we're kind of slowly growing into a uh, an organization. When I started it up, there was a, an organization uh, at the University of Michigan. Where they have a fantasy and science fiction reading group. Um, you know, and my goal was to get up to about half of their membership, and to, you know, to regularly have about ten or twelve members each time. And we're actually starting to kind of push that yeah. that size. Um, and uh, so, so it's been really a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's you know, it's a lot of people who. Um, they, they love this particular genre. We can talk about why people should love this genre. But people who love science fiction, um, and uh, so we pick one book a month. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a kind of book selection process in June, um, and we go through people nominate books, and then we kind of talk back and forth and negotiate a little bit and figure out who wants to read what. Um, we take a big sampling of, of stuff. We try to make sure that everybody gets at least one book on the on the list. We've expanded it out, um, actually following Michigan's lead, so that now we, uh, in addition to doing um, books across the year, one one month we'll do a movie. Um, this last year we did Arrival, uh, which is a magnificent movie. Uh, and then um, this year we're going to be doing Children of Men, um, which is another probably one of the best science fiction movies of the past uh, two decades. Um, but we've done that. And we've also uh, formally added a, a graphic novel. And there's a lot of great science fiction graphic novels. So we've got Spill, a graphic novel for this year. Uh, and then the rest is a mix of old and new. We, we're starting to sort of incorporate a little bit of fantasies. Um, we do um, long and short. We try and alternate the long and short. So if we got a really long book coming up, the library's done a great job. So when we pick the books, um, Ed uh, Ed Burns, make sure that those, by the rest of you all, make sure those books get in. Right. Um, order those books from from all over the place so that so that they're waiting. People come in on on uh, second Wednesday nights at seven. They they grab the book for next month. We sit around and we really uh, we unpack it. And it's not just about the book. I mean. You know, every parts of the parts of the books lead to conversations about 
know, things that range from, from people's jobs to politics to um, you know, their families um, and just what's going on in the world. And, and people are like, oh, and I read this other thing. And so we talk about those things. Um, and it's so much more than Heinlein's Dune oh, or right. Asimov's Robots. That's right. No, but it, yes. I have to confess to yes. you, I have caught myself. Yes. This is full disclosure. I have caught myself online on the internet at a website yes. reading a list titled science fiction recommendations for people who think they don't like science fiction. There you go. And I think, there you go. And, I, think and I am everybody. You have, you have caught yourself doing what you, we have not yet done is caught you in our club. And uh, it's a genre people might think they can't get into. That's right. Um, So, yeah. So, I mean, what's the what's the pitch for me? I mean, for me, it was kind of one of those things like a long, you know, when I was 11 or 10, uh, in addition to being really into libraries, I was really into space and uh, and and other stuff. My dad took me to see 2001 A Space Odyssey when I was about seven or eight. Um, which is a sign of how little he knew about children, except <laughs> purely by accident. I loved it. Like yeah. it was, it was utterly transfixing. I mean, this is a movie that bores most adults, mm-hmm. um, and it should have bored me. Our producer's raising her hand. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's uh, it's a long movie. There's almost no dialogue, um, but twenty nine minutes of just apes. Exactly, exactly. Like the first word is spoken thirty two minutes into the right. film, something like that. Right. So long film they're long interminable uh you know sections of people sort of taking spacewalks and not talking and you know um and and i i absolutely was transfixed i absolutely i absolutely loved it you never know what your gateway will be that's right into it that's right and so you know for that for me it was that it was about spaceships and star wars came out a few years later but uh so you know, and, and those were kind of cool. Um, and uh, but what what happened actually is is in my in my college years, I started to move from the kind of space stuff. As I started to get more interested in politics, I went to school in Washington D.C. Um, I started to read more political ones. And at first, it was sort of post-apocalyptic novels, like what happens if the world's destroyed or almost destroyed, and how do we rebuild after. But I found, you know, and 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 as I started to do graduate work in the social sciences, I learned that. Um, these books, they were about the things I was studying. So there were books that were about dictatorship, and there were books that were about sudden rapid transformation. Actually, we're celebrating the 30th anniversary right now of the of the Berlin Wall. Um, actually, and science fiction is about revolutions, and it's about sudden radical transformation. And what I realized suddenly was that there is an entire genre that is, it's about exploring what could happen, um, and in a way, exp- by exploring what could happen, exploring what is what is actually happening. So for me, um, science fiction is that kind of storytelling that that tells stories about societies. And I love I love stories about individuals and you know how individuals change their lives uh, and sort of ordinary fiction. But the spe- the special thing about good science fiction for me is that it tells the stories of how societies understand themselves, how societies change, how societies cope with problems. Uh, and so, you know, for every, for me, every single one of these books is a chance to sort of think about where we're at, why we're here, um, how it could be different. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I, I'm still able to teach that course at Wayne. Uh, and in the last year, I've been able to modify it. So the last month of the course, the students don't have to write a science fiction story, but they have to do the kind of world building that science fiction authors do. Um, and really, the final assignment is you don't have to you don't have to tell the story. You don't have to have a plot line. But I want you to envision the kind of world where you'd like to live and how you would get there. And that is itself a kind of narrative process or a story. 
Um, there's a there's a recent book that come out called that's come out called Octavia's Brood, which is a reference to Octavia Butler, who's one of the going to bring her up. Yeah, one of the most prominent African American women science fiction writers. And uh, so this book is is a series of science fiction stories inspired by her work. And the introduction, the first page of the book. Uh, the authors say that what we're really interested in is organizing, organizing for social change, and that all organizing is science fiction because in order to become an organizer, you actually have to envision a different society than the one that we live in. And unless you can engage in that kind of speculative fiction about the world that you want, you cannot, you cannot do anything about the world you're in. Like the Green New Deal, the Green New Deal is science fiction. Mm -hmm. And it's science fiction that somebody's trying to turn into political science fact. Um, and so for me, the ability to envision the end point that you want to reach, you can't get there unless you can envision it. And then the really good science fiction um, envisions how men and women and children react when they try to get there and how they overcome struggles and how they marshal their resources to, um, to, to create coalitions, unlikely coalitions sometimes, for, for, for making those things happen. So for me, it's become an intensely personal thing. It's become an intensely... Um, political thing. I don't want to wrap everything that I do into the same package. So I do political science and I do science fiction. So I have to make them into political science fiction. But um, frankly, it's become that for me. And uh, in addition to that, it's just the 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 absolute joy of being immersed in a narrative. Yeah. Like take all the science fiction away for me. Uh, whether it's whether it's reading a physical text or I do a lot of audiobooks, uh, the ability to just kind of wash everything away um, and become immersed in somebody else's very well-told story, that's unparalleled joy for me that I can I can I can find solace and I can find enthusiasm and joy um, in seeing how other people craft worlds and tell stories. Uh, and, uh, so it's just been a lot of, um, it's a lot of fun, but you're right. That social engagement around a common text around yeah. a, something that people have in common. Um, I think, especially, you know, for, for, for a lot of introverts, um, you know, there's, there are certain people in the world who can walk into any room and smile and greet and be happy. Uh, and there are other people, and I'm one of those people, uh, who needs to have something to talk something about? Something to talk about. Something to talk about, and then it's easier to interact with people you never met and mm -hmm. you don't know. Kevin, thanks for being here today. Oh, thank so, you. This so, is, so very much. This um, is delightful. And I hope that we've generated some excitement. Uh, I whether, hope so too. Whether it's in people to join a book club or whether it's in to support their library. Absolutely. That well, is. And I have to say, the thing that generates the excitement is 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 you all yeah. doing this, doing all the things that staff does, doing the first stop Fridays. Keeping the doors open, you know, keeping those those great displays you've got of the new books and the the really nice curated things of you know like our our staff recommendations, um, and just keeping a vibe. The vibe that you guys have here is uh, um, it makes people want to come in. So right. um, we are. I mean, so speaking as a member of the community, um, we're just we're thankful for staff. So thank you for for doing the work that you're doing. It's it, it's a public service and we can it's just obvious how much you all love it and uh, and that makes it happen. And that was our chat this encore episode looking back about 2 years ago when we sat down to chat with Kevin Deacon Kraus integral in getting this library renovated and a stalwart friend of the library, but also an associate professor of political science at Wayne State University. Uh, it was fun to look back on that great chat with him, our second episode ever.
you have listened to another episode of a little too quiet it's the ferndale library podcast and it's brought to you by the friends of the ferndale library as always the music that you hear at the beginning and end of each episode has always been brought to you by a local musician john duffy if you'd like to support this podcast you can go to ferndalefriends.org but please remember to rate review and subscribe or just tell a friend and we will be back next week with a new episode so stay tuned for that thanks again for listening